Good afternoon and welcome to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, where you'll be inspired, informed, and entertained. I'm your host, Jennifer Stewart, owner of Jazz Potential and creator of Find Your Sparkle. And today I'm very excited to have with me my friend, Teresa Babb. Now, welcome, Teresa. I'm so excited to have you here. Now, I just want to give a little bit of your background before we get going so people have a sense of who you are. You're a writer, a singer, and a lover of Mother Earth, as so am I. I think that's one of the things that kind of connected, can help to connect us. You're passionate and about advocating for the poor and the disenfranchised, and more recently has begun to advocate for financial coverage for cutting-edge treatments of obesity, which is, I, I can't wait for you to share some of your journey. You also practice mindfulness, you love animals, and you're a frustrated knitter, which I think that's kind of funny because I would never pick up knitting needles for one of those exact reasons. <laughs> you're also a bereaved mother of two with 32 years in between these devastating losses. We're going to talk some about that today. You speak about child death and about suicide openly and freely and with empathy and compassion. Recently, you lost 115 pounds. That is absolutely incredible. And your daughter, who would have been 40 today, which is August 5th, and this is going to be airing on Friday, you guys had planned to do a big holiday for 2020 when you were turning 60 and your daughter would have been turning 40. And you vowed that you would lose the weight before that trip, and you did. You kept up your part of the agreement. However, your daughter has left us in 2017 and we're going to talk some about your darkest moments and how you can embrace the light how you can find the way through this darkness through all the imperfections and i just want to say i'm so happy that you're here and willing to share some of your story because this is this is not an easy topic to talk about and a lot of people well they shy away from it for one thing right. and it's it's really hard and I can't even, I honestly, Teresa, I can't even imagine how your life has been dealing with that and the things that you have gone through. So I want to, I want to thank you from the bottom of my heart for entrusting me here today with you and for you sharing your story, because I know that someone out there definitely needs to hear something you're going to say today. So welcome. Thank you, Jennifer. I'm very happy to have this opportunity to speak with you. Um, and you're right, some of these topics are not things people are comfortable talking about. But uh, I've never had an issue with speaking uh, the truth and being, you know, uh, diplomatic about it. I'm not, uh, I don't come on strong about the topics. If people don't want to discuss them, I would never force that. But it's important to talk about the things that have gone on in my life, for sure from the perspective that someone else may hear about it and who knows, maybe they'll reach out to me or they'll reach out to somebody who can give them whatever it is they need to move forward with their life. And you know, that's a really good point because reaching out, I know myself that I've, I have friends and associates who've had, who've been impacted by suicide. And a lot of times they, they don't want to talk about it. They keep it inside. And that obviously we know that that isn't healthy. Can right. you talk about, I mean, I can't imagine three years ago. And I mean, this day must be, how do you feel today with this being your, your daughter's birthday? Well, you know, it's interesting. I wrote um, a little piece about her birthday in Facebook and 
I, I think I did most of my crying in the last couple of days. Uh, I find that when you're a bereaved parent, you think that everything's going to happen on the day. And that's right. something I learned when my little boy died in 1985. You know, when his birthday was coming up or anything was coming up, I thought it would be on the day. But it sometimes is a few days before, it can be a few days after. And um, today I, I feel a little sad, if that's the right word. I, I feel melancholy. Um, I was out walking very early this morning with my dogs and I heard the Cardinal and you know, the Cardinal is very symbolic. And um, I never heard a Cardinal before this summer. I didn't even know what the songs, his song sounded like. And I know that's my daughter. So when I heard that this morning, I just, I feel like she's okay. And right. That gives me a sense of peace. Now, how long did it take you for you to get to that point? Because I'm sure it didn't happen overnight. I mean, we know that, you know, there's several pro several parts of the grieving process. Right. So this is three years later. Yeah. And, and you can say that now. And, and I can feel that you feel that you're not, those aren't just words because sometimes we can just use words for the sake of saying it to make, no. maybe try and convince ourselves. But, but I feel your energy that, that you, you know, that she's in a better place. Can you talk a little bit about how long it took you to get there and what you did? Oh, for sure. So uh, when I found out that Laura had died, I didn't know that she had died by suicide. I didn't find that out for quite a few hours. And when I did, I was, I was completely devastated and blown away. It was something that we had only talked about one time and it was a few years before she died. And um, we didn't even get into it for an extended period of time. We just had, you know, I just said to her one day because things were getting pretty dark for her. And I said, you know, would you ever, have you ever thought about, and she's like, oh my God, Mom, that's not in my wheelhouse. I would never do anything like that. So it never would have, it never crossed my mind. Um, so, and the way that I found out was really quite strange, but I won't get into all of that today. Um, so, you know, first you're in shock. You're, you're, you're walking around in a haze and you have to have people guiding you everywhere. And, oh, it was just awful. And I can look back on it now as though it was, so I'm ha I was having an out-of-body experience because I oh could God. see what was happening, but I just couldn't do what I had to do. Uh, the, the only thing that I really accomplished was writing her obituary. And I felt really um, felt good about it. I had asked my husband and my son if they were okay with what I had written, and they weren't. And so I lied and said, okay, I'll take out the part you don't want and put it in. And that was actually the part that um, inspired people who didn't know us and didn't know me to contact me after some after a few days. Some people contacted me months later because they had been on the cusp of perhaps ending their lives or 
they lost someone to suicide or they had lost a child and um, it was that was the beginning of the journey for me was when people started to speak to me they would open up they would email me and then if they were comfortable i would give them my phone number and they would call and we would speak and i guess the other beautiful thing that happened was people that i had known from years before suddenly were there for me and these beautiful friendships have bloomed from that and that helped too uh then i met a woman named terry peace and she terry changed my life and one of the things that she suggested to do was go to becoming an outdoors woman which we did last september and I was there on the anniversary of Laura's death. It had been two years when I was there. And that was that was when I knew I could I could start to set things down and not carry it with me for the rest of my life. I knew from being out in the woods, from having that time to spend alone and being mindful uh, to to weep on my own. I um it, it was a cleansing experience for me. And to be surrounded by women, I mean, what could possibly be better? So I, um, yeah, that was the beginning. The other thing that happened when I was at, uh, at Bo was we went on a hike. And it wasn't a long hike. And Jennifer, I, I couldn't breathe. I was so out of shape. I was, I had hit a point where, I mean, I knew I was either going to die or I had to lose the weight. And I right. had a decision and I had to make it fast. Uh, I had taken some photographs of myself afterward and my face was just beet red and so not me, even though I have been overweight since I was a child. So because of that, I met Dr. Laura Reardon. And because of Laura's death, I also met a wonderful psychiatrist who practices mindfulness. So all of these things just sort of merged together around the same time. And it gave me the courage to go and see Dr. Reardon. And it gave me the courage to keep, you know, moving forward. And here I am. I'm 115 pounds lighter, and I'll tell you, most of that weight was guilt and sorrow and anxiety and disappointment, and I've let it all go. Oh, my golly. I love that you just said how you just said that, because I think that most people who struggle with, with grief, who struggle with weight... Yeah know that 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 weight is definitely it, it's more symbolic of a lot of other things right so it's not that you can just it doesn't doesn't mean you just take off the weight and that's it there's a lot more to it and if and well i think you know i've i've lost a bit of weight and i've been up and down for a bit and the only thing that finally made that change to make it a permanent thing like you're just saying is the mindfulness and a mind shift right and releasing so that that weight that you're that you're talking about, we're gonna have to take a break in a minute. But I want you to think about 
um, I love the, the symbolism that you had with it, with, with everything, all the emotions and all of the baggage coming, coming off. So when we come back from break, maybe we can elaborate a little bit more on that. Absolutely. Perfect. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM and we'll be right back. Welcome back to Find Your Sparkle with Jen, and welcome back, Teresa. Now, Teresa, just before break, you were sharing about your, the loss of your daughter through suicide and how part of your journey, and which kind of everything kind of came together, was for you to do some self-healing, become more mindful, and then you also, that led into your weight loss journey. Right. And you were talking before break of, how you came to that point, looking at yourself 115 pounds heavier, feeling all of the, the weight of the world, literally, I think, on your shoulders. Right. And that next step that propelled you into your weight loss journey and what that meant. Can you talk a little bit about that with, when you were, you were talking about unshedding some of that stuff? Oh, oh, for sure. So I think one of the things that happened and probably the most profound thing was it was not so much a conscious awareness, but one day I just realized that I didn't want to die. And mm. up until that point, I thought that I did want to die. And I was eating myself into a slow, painful death. That's what I, I was just feeding myself constantly. And, you know, the minute I made that decision and went to see Dr. Reardon, Everything in my life changed. Now, I won't say that I lost the weight because I practice mindfulness and because I'm more aware of the symbolism of my weight. My weight is also symbolic of poor health and it is symbolic of, uh, you know, hormones that were just in overdrive telling me all the time that I was hungry and that I was never full. So, uh, you know, I've learned so much about obesity and I've unlearned so much about obesity through Dr. Reardon and her staff. But one of the things that, uh, that she diagnosed that my family doctor never did, which I found very disappointing, was type 2 diabetes. I always oh my golly. Yeah. I asked wow. my doctor all the time to send me for blood work. And every time the blood work came back, I would say, you know, am I diabetic? And she'd say, no, no, you know, you're, you're not even on the borderline. But then Dr. Laura sent me for um, a glucose tolerance test. And that changed everything. I was type two. Uh, some of my numbers on the blood work were just off the charts. Wow. When I saw those numbers in her office, I, I just burst into tears. I mean, I knew it was bad. I had no idea it was that bad. And so that's what kicked me into, you know, making this decision that, yeah, I, I want to stick around. Um, Laura made the decision to die. I didn't. Right. And so she was gone but I didn't need to go with her. And if I had, I wouldn't be with her anyway. And the thing that I would bring to my family and my friends, I couldn't do to them what happened to me. So was that a wake-up wake call for you? Because I know for for you know, for some time some people it's it's easy for them to get dragged down and, and to, to 
get tired of trying to claw themselves back out of the bucket thing. Uh, it was, it was, um, it was sort of my tipping point, I guess. It was that place where I think I acknowledged that I do love myself and I'm okay with loving me and there's nothing better than loving yourself. And because I had that realization and I don't go around everywhere saying, oh, I love myself so much. It's, I have this newfound uh, courage or something and um, uh, a patience that I never had for people before. Uh, I just, you know, I have all the time in the world for anybody who I run into on a sidewalk. If they say hello, I say hello back. If they want to talk, I will listen and I will respond because I'm okay with who I am and so are they. So let's keep talking. It just, everything has changed. There was a, there was a huge shift last October uh, when I went to Lotus Health and the shift continues. You know, I'll tell you, you can lose 115 pounds, but it doesn't mean you're going to be happy. Oh my golly, no, that's for and sure. It doesn't mean that all of a sudden everything in your life is going to be so much better. And, you know, it, it, it doesn't change anything other than how you feel about yourself and your health. And I feel so healthy all the time. I, uh, you know, I have more energy. I'm lighter on my feet. Nothing hurts. You know, I used to struggle to get up out of the chair and then my, you know, I'd groan about my knees and, um, just be out of breath. Sorry. I said, you'd be out of breath walking. Like that's, oh, I find yeah. is a big, Huge. That doesn't happen anymore. Nothing like that happens. And um, that is, it's not something that I even noticed. It just happened. Uh, and then so, one day somebody said, so, you know, when you're out walking, are, is your hip still bothering you? And I thought, my hip hasn't bothered me in weeks. I haven't even thought about it. So there, there are a lot of changes. There's also... Um, this thing that continues if you've been overweight for a very long time, you still have that mindset. And so, you know, if I go into a coffee shop and I see what the chairs look like, I think to myself, oh gosh, you know, I'm not going to fit in that chair. Maybe they have something else where I can sit. And then I realize that. Oh, yes, I can. Yeah, that's the other Teresa. So. Uh, look, I just, I can't say enough. I never in my whole life thought that I would be where I am now. And I know that Laura has been guiding me through this whole journey. And she has never left me. And I love her more now than I ever that's really, that is, you know, that's really refreshing. And I think that that can help to give some people some hope. I know my, my best friend lost her little boy when he was four and she's, you know, she's never, she's never really gotten to that next step. And, and people can be, as you know, I'm sure people can be well-meaning and say some things sometimes that yeah. 
possibly can can put people set them back instead of helping them to move forward you know things like you know well you know are you not over it yet or get over it or move on and that never ever ever happens and have you experienced any kind of those those kinds of comments or anything that you know where i think people now are becoming more sensitive however sometimes people can just say silly things <laughs> it's um i think it's a generational thing i find younger people are they're, they're a little bit more sensitive, but they're also very quick to move on from that mm -hmm. um, for whatever reason. I find the older friends, and I don't mean long-term friends, I mean people who are my age and maybe a bit older, um, and not all of them, but some of them were pretty quick to judge me. Uh, one sent me some emails that I, I will keep forever just to remind myself and other people that these are things you never say to somebody who has lost a child. Uh, people do say strange things. They, um, uh, I know when my son died, uh, people often said, well, you know, you're young, you can have more. Okay, I could also adopt a kitten, so you know, oh my goodness. probably the same thing. Um, they would say that he was in a better place. Well, what better place is there for a child than with his mother? Mm -hmm. uh, so it was just things like that, but you know, they mean well. Yes. I didn't understand that when I was 25 and my son had just died. I just, I took offense to everything that sounded like that but i didn't say anything it just it just stayed with me um now that i'm older and over the years i have come to understand that people say things because they don't know what to say but they want to say something and i can't you know i can't criticize them for being kind so mm -hmm. yeah they say things uh, and I had people say, aren't you over that yet? And I always say, you know, you never get over a loss like this. You go through it. Uh, Willie Nelson wrote a beautiful song about just getting through. And that's all you can do. You never get over losing your children. Oh my goodness. And that, you know, that's a really, really good point. And I love that, you know, this is really helpful, I think, for people who are listening in, if they're dealing with their own loss or a friend or a family member that have, you know, had a recent loss, I think it's really good to, to hear from, from you, you know, some of those things that, you know, those things like never ever say to someone who is in the is bereaved for the loss of a child or things that, you know, maybe are there some things that people can say also that would be helpful and getting to the point, you know, as you said, you're, you're older now and you've handled and interpret things differently, but you're also in a better space for yourself, mindfulness. And, and what I'm hearing now is you've actually become your own best friend. And that is one of the best gifts that you can give yourself and that makes you able it's not a selfish thing at all now you're able to help people when you look after yourselves and as women and in, in society sometimes we get trapped in thinking that you know we shouldn't be taking care of ourselves and we put everyone else forward so i'm really i commend you for taking charge back for yourself and to becoming 
your own best friend. And I think Teresa, my golly, it's, it's very evident how much you've grown and, you know, just to, to be in the place where you are, I'm so happy that you've been able to, you know, process some things. And, and, you know, I love that you said you feel you're closer to Laura now than what you were. Yeah. And that is, you know, is there, there's, we're almost out of time, but is there any final words that you want to say for, for people, whether they're the ones that have experienced losing a child through suicide or through other death or people who are trying to help their, their loved one in dealing with it? Right. So I'm always very cautious about what I say, Jennifer, to parents who have lost their children uh, because everybody's experience is very, very different. And we right. are really different people. And I've had other bereaved parents become quite angry with me because I have gotten to this point. Have mm -hmm. I forgotten Laura? No. Will I you ever remember? No. Do I feel sad when I think about how she died and that she died? Of course. The sadness has become sort of uh, a part of the tapestry that is me. It's a thread that's woven through. Uh, but don't ever stop saying their name. If you have a friend whose child died and you don't know what to say, just say, I'm thinking about you and Laura. I'm thinking about you and Seth. I'm thinking, you know, we need to hear their names. It's hearing and saying their names that keeps them alive and we know that no one has forgotten them. I don't care if people forget me, but don't, please just don't forget my child uh, or my children. So yeah, that's what I would suggest. You don't have to come up with all the right things to say, just say, I'm thinking. And, just, and that, I think that that is a perfect segment for the end of our show today. And just, I guess it's, from what I'm hearing from you is it's just to be there and to, to be open and just to talk and to be kind. Yes, that's exactly it. This has been a really great interview. I've really enjoyed our time together, Teresa. Thank you so much for being here. I know that there are people out there who really needed to hear your message today. And if you're, we will definitely get together at some point. But I, I just want to thank you so much. And I'm so proud of you. You just, you, oh. you really, really, you really have that great energy. And, and just from, you know, from seeing you online for the last few years, I've just really noticed such a huge, huge, huge difference in you. And I'm just, I'm so very proud. And I thank you so much for being here today. And I definitely look forward to us coming together at some point in the future. I do too. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you. Mwah. You're listening to CIOE 97.5 FM. And remember to go out and do something to make you sparkle today and every day. And we'll catch you next time. Have a great day, everyone. Okay. If you're listening to the podcast, you get to have an extra bonus segment with Teresa. So Teresa, we, we just have been having a really great conversation and I really do appreciate you sharing so much because I know this is, this is such a tough topic for people and 
I, I really, I think the only way to get through this and to help people is by talking. I agree. 100%. And it's, yeah. And it's, it's probably, it's probably one of, one of my, my things that I really wish people would loosen up. So I think that I, I'm really thank thank you for being such an advocate and for speaking up and to, you know, help to have that conversation. I mean, mental health is, is huge. And we know that we don't have enough practitioners and people to help as many people as need help. So yeah. I think, that, you know, as, as citizens and, and people that have experienced things, anything that we can do that can help push people forward, that can help give them a sense of, you know what, there is hope, have faith. I mean, that doesn't mean everything's perfect, right. but when you continue to have hope, I think that it helps you to be able to move forward. Can you talk about when, when you went from that phase and that stage after you lost Laura, was there a stage where you didn't, you, you felt hopeless for a little while? And, and I mean, when we think about, you know, going through the, the grief process, talking about, you know, what propelled you I know you talked a little bit for the for the interview and and some of the people who helped in going out into the, the woods and become you know becoming one with nature and those are I think probably the best <laughs> nature I think is the best medicine but can you talk a little bit more about some of the things maybe that we didn't get a chance to talk about uh sure so not long after Laura died uh I did go to um survivors of suicide uh, group. It met once a month, I think. Was that hard for you to get in there? Like, did somebody recommend that, or did you did you willingly go, or was what was the process in your head when when that was suggested to you? Well, because I had previously lost a child, I and had gone to a bereaved parents group for over a year. Oh, good. Uh, this, this seemed like the norm. This is, you know, after a month or two of trying to comprehend suicide and not having seen my daughter's body after she died and all these things that were just driving me crazy, I thought I need to talk with people who have been there. Mm -hmm. And so, there, you know, I just, I looked up the, uh, the group, I, I did a Google search for, uh, for survivor groups, and I found one, and um, initially it was very, very helpful just to hear the voices and hear the stories and know that I was also being heard. Uh, but, you know, there came a point where it was no longer serving me. And that's fine. It's, it's yeah. for, you know, the rest of your life. But I was starting to feel like I could end up making suicide and Laura's death the focal point of my life. And I knew that that was not something that I wanted. Uh, if that was what I was going to center myself around, where would I find happiness and joy again? And Maybe it's because I, I was an older parent. I was 57 when Laura died. Maybe that had something to do with, you know, stepping back and thinking, I can't stay here. I have to, I just have to keep moving. I have to, I will sort this out, but I, I can't do it 
in this group anymore and I can't stay stuck in this place. And so uh, I wrote and I have wonderful friends, a few very wonderful friends who are so great about just listening to me talk about her. Um, I have one friend, Tracy, who, you know, like, she just gets it. We went to mm. see Jane Sibbery one night last year, and Jane Sibbery was singing this song about this girl who was you know, in so much despair and darkness, and she called her Mouse, and my daughter's nickname was Mouse. And it just slammed into me. Next thing I know, Tracy's got her arms around me, and I thought, what more could a person want than a friend who actually picked up on that that quickly? I didn't even react, and there she was comforting me. Uh, those are the things that that helped and also made me realize each time that I was moving forward. I would have to do a check every now and then to see where I was. Um, you know, when Laura initially, when, when she died, I, I cried uncontrollably uh, 20 hours out, out of every 24 hours. Wow. And six or seven days into it, I didn't cry at all. And I didn't feel like I was gonna cry. And I said to my husband, do you think that means I didn't love her? And he said, no, I really think it means that you really need a break from the sorrow and the grief, and maybe it's only gonna be for today, but you need that. And he was so right. So, and then of course it comes flooding back. But as you fill your life, I'm not saying, you know, go out and do everything and start all these hobbies so you can just put it out of your mind. As you start picking up things like how much Laura taught me how to love nature, she was like um, earth woman and she taught me about birds. She taught me so much. So that's where I went to heal. And you have to find your own place and talk to yourself and talk to your child. And that's what worked for me. For some people, it's um, seeing a, a therapist or a counselor, grief counselor, although there are virtually none of those around who have ever dealt with suicide. And um, or you can call me and we can go for a walk and you can just talk to me about whatever it is that's on your mind because it's so important to know that you're not alone. That's the worst part about being a grieving parent is feeling so uh, isolated and alone. And you, and you, I mean, realistically, most of the people around you are not going to know what you're going through and it makes it, I can't, I mean, I really, I can't even, I can't even process the depth of the despair. But at the same time, I love that you're, you know, you're honoring Laura's memory too, by doing things that you know that she that she taught you and you always will have that so i mean it depends on you know how you look at things 
and how you choose to look at things. And I think you had mentioned earlier about, you know, the realization and, and having things in your head and you're having your husband to be able to remind you like, no, Teresa, you know what? If you don't cry today, that's not what it means. Just have somebody, you know, it's okay. And nobody, there's no roadmap that I don't, that's going to direct you on the straight path to where you need to be. You, you have to, you have to figure it out. That's true. But, that's not going to happen unless you're open to it. So, I mean, it would have been really easy for you to stay stuck where you were, I think, Teresa, would it? Oh, it would have been the easiest thing to do. I wouldn't have had to do any work. I could have kept eating the chips, sitting on the couch, uh, and just wallowing. But I get why people do that, too. Uh, yeah. I they don't think it's easy because... Grieving for a child is not easy. And no. all the energy you have to put one foot in front of another to drag yourself out of bed. A friend of mine lost her little girl many years ago. And I remember her telling me after Laura died that um, she'd get up in the morning and she'd make her kids lunch and she'd send them off to school. And then she got right back into bed and she stayed there all day until she knew they were coming home. And wow. I get that. I yeah. totally get that. <clears throat> sleep becomes your best friend because sleep is your only escape from that pain. Yeah. But I guess what I learned from the bereaved parents group that I used to go to, excuse me, <clears throat> many years ago is that if you are at 18 to 24 months post death of your child and you have not made any progress and you are still in that place where all you feel is sorrow and emptiness and guilt you need to talk to someone and you should probably talk to a professional so find a psychologist or a psychiatrist, a grief counselor, a social worker, a nurse. Find one of those people who can help you move forward because you need that. Don't wait until it's five years. You need it now if you're 18 to 24 months out. So when you talked about when you, when you made that shift in your in your mind and I it sounds to me it was almost like a paradigm shift where you had to kind of unlearn everything that you had been doing before. Exactly. Was that was that a, an aha moment like do you remember that specific time was it at the when you were doing that hike or was there a specific time that you had holy cow this is this is this is my aha moment and this has got to change. I think that when I was on that, when I was out in the woods with uh, becoming an outdoors woman, uh, and when I was on my own in the woods on the, on the anniversary of her death, that was when I decided that I wanted to live. Mm -hmm. That was my aha moment. That was when I said, I'm not going with you. I'm staying here because this is where I really want to be. You couldn't be, and you know, you, you found the courage to leave because the pain was just too deep. Uh, why, she, why she took her own life, I don't know. I don't know what happened in those last days. I don't know if she planned it for, you know, a few weeks, a couple of days. The medical examiner said it looked like it was a very spontaneous, so 
She just came home, went into her house, shut the door and killed herself. So, you know, I can't stay there wondering. No. I, I'm, I haven't got, I don't know how much of life I have left and I want to enjoy it. Mm -hmm. And Laura would want me to enjoy it. She wouldn't want me sitting at home crying about her every single day. I cry in my own way. Um, but the, the aha moment really was not so much about, okay, I'm, I'm moving on from my grief. It was, okay, I'm staying alive. I made that decision. And now things are going to have to change. And with that change came being able to better manage the grief. And am I grieving? I, I grieve. I, uh, I feel super sad some days. But um, most days I just feel joy because there is so much around us to feel joyful about. Uh, and I know that Laura was always very joyful about the world around her. And I'm not trying to be Laura, but there's no question that she plays a big part in the choices that I've been making. I, I think that that's wonderful. And I think that, like you said earlier, you're closer to her now. And I personally believe that we're communicating with with, our, with those souls around us and those people that are, have been gone. And I, I really, I completely 100% believe that. And as evidenced by the Cardinal today with, with yeah. you, I mean, that, you know, there's, there's the sign. So there's, if Laura was here right now in physical form and could say something to you, what do you think that she would say? You've done a great job. I can't believe what you've accomplished in the last three years. It'll be three years in September. If she had not died, if she had come back from the dead, that's what she would say. If she hadn't died, well, we'd be in hysterics all day today because I can't believe I'm 60. I think that's just foolishness. He used to laugh just as much about turning 40. I mean, come on. She was no more 40 than, you know, she was always going to be this vibrant young woman. And uh, so that's what we'd be doing today. But if she were to come back, oh, if she were to come back, I think she'd just be very proud of me. I agree. And I'm really proud of you. I mean, I've just... Like I said earlier, I just, I've seen you over the last couple of years and I'm just, I can't, I can't fathom what you've experienced, but I am so proud that you've taken control back of your life. And it really, Teresa, it really shows. I mean, you know, when I think back and I know that, I mean, no, no one would ever want to go through this journey that you've been through. There's no question about that, but I thank you for being open to talk about it, for helping people, for sharing. And most importantly, for, for living your life and for taking right. that charge back because there's, you know, it is your life to live and you're the only one who can live it. So taking charge and, and becoming your own best friend, I think, is the best gift that you could ever give to yourself and to everyone around you. I agree with that. You know, uh, a couple of years ago, 
I was always looking for people to do things with. Even last summer, you know, I'd post on Facebook, who wants to go to the beach? Nobody wants to go to the beach. Now, you know, I don't want anybody going to the beach with me. I want to go with me and just hang out, yeah. read a book, go, you know, beach combing, do my own thing, not have to make conversation. And um, I never thought that I would be that person, but here I am. I just, I don't know how much time we have, Jennifer, but I wanted to go back to one thing. Yes. I spent a lot of time looking for help after Laura died. And I also spent a lot of time looking for help before she died, looking for help for her. Um, and then afterward, looking for help for me through grief therapy or something. Yes. And there's nothing out there. There is nothing. Oh, it's, it breaks my heart. Yeah. The resources are, I don't know where they are. I know there was one group that I apparently was wonderful at the Dartmouth General and the funding was cut for that. So that was the end of that. So I didn't get to uh, attend anything there. Um, and so I kind of ended up working it all out on my own until I, I met this incredible psychiatrist who, I mean, she just she changed my life with her mindfulness uh, practice and introducing me to all these different ways of just being kind to others and to myself. You know, the anger is gone. And I was angry for most of my life. So, but my biggest concern is, forget about the grief therapy. I don't think Laura would have died if there had been help for her, but there was nothing. Uh, it's so scary. It's just so frustrating. And I don't know what the answer is because there's, I don't know. It's all related to money, right? That's, the, that's what it comes down to. And then trying to get people in, in, involved and, and able to have a practice where people can actually come and get that help that they need. And I know that it's, I know lots of people who've been struggling in that area and it makes me so sad. And I, like I say, I don't know what the, what the answer is, but this just occurred to me, Teresa, let's pretend that we have an opportunity right now to speak to our government officials who have the control who can do that. What, what can you say to them to, to get for what, what is a wake up call? Well, there are two things that money has to be spent on. The first one is mental health. There is a mental health issue across this country that is terrifying, especially now, you know, with people going through this COVID crisis, uh, suicides are on the rise. There's no question. I see at least two or three every week in the obituaries. Um, something has to change right now as far as money being spent on mental health. Stop spending it on, you know, everybody's all worried about orthopedic surgery. That's fine. I understand that it hurts to walk, but if it hurts to live, then you have to do something for those people. The other place where money has got to be spent is on uh, the chronic disease we call obesity have to stop blaming fat people for all the ills of the healthcare system and start bearing the brunt of some of that burden yourselves. There are so many options out there now, cutting edge options. Uh, so many new programs, medications, 
cognitive behavioral therapy, bariatric surgery, find the money to pay for that, and you will take that burden off the healthcare system in a matter of, I don't know, a couple of years. It yeah. will prevent children who are already showing signs of growing into obesity. It will help them and prevent going any further with it. So get it together. Yeah, I, I completely agree. Now, before we go, just one last thing. Is there, is there, what, first of all, what makes you sparkle? And I think you've given us a pretty good indicator of that. And secondly, if there's anything else that you would like to say to our audience. What makes me sparkle? <laughs> Do I sparkle? I guess the things that make me sparkle are opportunities like this when I can actually get to people. And... Mm -hmm let them know that they're not alone, it, whether it's because they lost a child or because they're depressed or, you know, right now they haven't got a job. They aren't alone. And I promise you, it will always get better. That's where I find my sparkle is if somebody hears that message. And of course, out in the uh, world of trees and birds and rabbits and everything is my other sparkle. Um, oh, my God. The only other thing I would like to say is I am so grateful for this opportunity. I'm so grateful that I met you. Um, and, you know, saying that you're proud of me is something that will carry me for a very, very long time. So thank oh. you. Oh, my golly. It's so, it's, I, I mean it with every ounce of my being. It's, it's, I really, I really do. It's been, it's been really great to see you flourish and to really, to, to really, to really notice that. And I think you look fabulous. And I, I really, I'm so happy you've taken control back of your life. Thank you, Jennifer. Thank you. It's been really great chatting with you, Teresa. I look forward to one of these days we're going to sit and chat and chat and chat. <laughs> and that'll be, that'll be really fun. But in the meantime, I'm just continue doing what you're doing and helping people. I think that that is, the best thing and, and I see your sparkle and and I, I love that you're making a difference I will keep doing what I'm doing and you keep doing what you're doing <laughs> thank you my friend it's been great we'll see you uh, we'll see you at some point have a great day Teresa thank you so much talk to you later bye okay.